Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you as, hey, I'm with you every week. So what's the deal? Remember how last week I told you that we were already in episode 801? Well, this week it's 802. So imagine that. Fantastic. And as I often like to do, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what's coming up on the show. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's pretty upset by the number of guys online who are okay with having sex before marriage. And so she's asking, uh, where are all the good guys? And guys, before you write me and be all like, Lisa, this isn't just guys. Okay, listen up. She's the one that wrote. Okay, so our friend, Counselor Glenn Lutchens, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, do you sometimes go to church and feel overlooked, particularly because you're a young adult and you are unmarried? So Alicia Plummer is here in the studio. She's going to address ways the church can help accommodate single Christians. Uh, She actually wrote Confessions of a Christian Spinster, which is just a fun title to a book. So we are going to talk to her about that. You're going to find it encouraging. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And as promised last week, we are going to have a conversation with a group of men this week on friendship. So those of you who listened last week, you know that we talked with the women and we're very encouraged about what friendship can look like, some of the struggles of friendship, and really how you can make great friends and be a great friend. And so guys, this week, uh, we have got Ryan Sterling and Tommy here. Hey guys. How's it going, Lisa? Hey. Hello, hello. Okay, we're gonna dive right in here because I think there are some distinctions between the way that women and men do friendship, but we will find out today. So I wanna start out by getting the lay of the land. I did this last week as well. Would you say you have a lot of friends or a select few? What do you feel like your friendship quotient is as far as like, you know, does talking about friendship make you angsty? Um, what what do you, how do you feel like you do friendship? Yeah, so I would say, I, you know, it does kind of matter how you define friendship. Um, For me, um, I kind of like to think about it like the rings of an onion. I have those people who are really close. Um, Those people who I have, you know, a good friendship with, people that I do enjoy talking to, people that um, I would consider close friends, and then people who I would say acquaintances, but maybe not some people that I'm going to immediately come out of my comfort zone um, off the bat. So for that, I would say I have a decent amount of of pretty good friends. Okay. When you're talking about the friends who are close, who would be there for you, who you would have deep conversations with, how many are we talking? I would say a solid probably five to eight. Okay. Good. All right. Sterling, how about you? Uh, Yeah. I I consider myself pretty extroverted. I like interacting with a lot of people, but I have a, a small select group of close friends uh, that I turn to for kind of encouragement as well as everyday entertainment and, and hanging out and social activities. Um, I'd say similarly around that five to eight range, probably uh, six. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my family and I have like one to two friends I hang out with all the time. And then it kind of goes out from there. Okay. But you're not averse to hitting up social events and parties and all that. No, I don't love crowds and, and parties as much. I'm not that type of extrovert. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to spend all of my time with my close friends. Oh, okay. uh, but I'm usually not uncomfortable uh, at parties. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have one to two like really good friends, uh, best friends, close friends. I have three to six, seven range of like, you know, decent friends that I hang out with like uh, a fair bit. And then um, about 2,000 friendly acquaintances. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's is that because of social media or LinkedIn or what? Um, no, I'm I'm an extrovert kind of like oh. off the scale. Okay. And so I love meeting people, I love talking with people, and I love hearing people's stories. But just because I heard your story doesn't mean like we have to do life together mm. all the time from now on. It's just I just really take an interest in you. I think you're fantastic. Let's not see each other for two years, and I'll say <laughs> hi again some other time. Okay, and it'll be like old times. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay, so if someone were to ask you what's the number one thing that guys need in friendships, what would you say? I would say the biggest thing uh, for me that I really appreciate is accountability. Um, so there, sure, there has to be a certain level of trust that does come um, before that, but if you're someone that I do trust with my sin struggles, areas that I do fall short, um, I at the same time trust you to hold me accountable 
when I'm not measuring up to the standard that God calls me to live out. And so in that, um, that's, you know, I don't typically look for those people who are yes men. Um, affirmation is not the immediate quality that I would look for in a friend. Mm -hmm. So to me, somebody that, um, you know, does ultimately point me back to the word of God, to how he calls me to live and to living out his will for my life, um, through accountability, that's the number one quality that I would definitely look for in a friend. For me, I think it's gotta be common values. Um, having those as a guidepost to be able to understand where someone is coming from and what they mean when they're talking to you, I think that's one of the only ways to build trust and to understand where they're going and where they're coming from. So if I know that we share many common values with each other, then when you come to me and you're um, bringing accountability to me, when you're correcting me, when you're maybe even criticizing me, or when you're comforting me, I know you're doing that from a perspective of like for me and my friends, it'd be um, a Christian Christ-centered position. And so I know that when you come and you say, listen, man, you did this and this is not beneficial to your life. I know you're not just trying to pick on me and I know you're not trying to bully me. I know you're trying to get the best out of me that can be brought. Um, you're trying, you care about my eternal soul. And so, yeah, for me, it's gotta be common values that we both share. Yeah, I, I would say trust is kind of that that common cornerstone uh, in any of my relationships, but certainly with my male friendships. Um, there's this thing called the, the Five Dysfunctions of the Team. It's this book by Patrick Lencioni that I really like. Um, and he talks about um, a lot of things you, you need to avoid to avoid breaking up your team uh, and, and friendships. All relationships are somewhat of a team. So... Uh, that base level kind of he, he equates to everything needs to be founded on trust in all of your relationships. And when you do that, you can engage in healthy conflict with people. Um, you can learn to commit to working together through the solutions you agree upon. You can work through accountability with each other um, and you can get the result of like an amazing friendship of committed people who love and trust each other. But that trust, um, believing that someone has your best interest in heart, um, that they are trying their best and not attempting to offend you or only looking after their own uh, self in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, when you can trust somebody on that, um, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of, of choice um, without evidence to choose that, but when you trust somebody, that creates the base for everything else to flow from. Sure. Well, let's let's ratchet it back a little bit and talk about like the start of a friendship. So for guys... What is really like winning at friendship, especially in the beginning? Like what clicks? What is super awkward? What is like, because I think guys have unique challenges. You know, women do some things well in friendship. Guys do some things well. But what would you guys say? Like, you know, you see someone or you've kind of been in someone's sphere and you're like, I think this guy could be quality. Like, what does it look like in the dynamic of, you know, kind of feeling something great versus oh, but then, you know, we have to do this or we have to go here or we have to, what What does all that feel like? Yeah, I would say um, immediate thing is, do they take an interest in that conversation? Um, you know, you can tell, it seems like pretty quickly on whether they're just talking to you to talk to you and, you know, if they're kind of looking away, right? Or if they're, you know, looking at their phone. It's like, it doesn't really seem like you have an interest in carrying on this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so part of that too is, you know, what's that conversation about? Is it about, you know, where you are in your faith, where you go to church, what Bible studies, you know, that's a huge thing for me. And something that, you know, obviously doesn't click so much is, okay, um, yeah, no, you know, I don't really care about this kind of thing. And so I feel like that's something that you can tell pretty quickly on. Um, you don't want to make a judgment on where they are in their faith immediately based on that, but that's something that I look for. Okay, this person's solid. They want to, you know, carry on this conversation and ultimately point me closer to God. So, I have a much lower bar when it comes to making friends, I guess, because I've become friends with somebody. And like, this is kind of more in the friendly acquaintance, but I've become friends with somebody because we both buy our flannels from Costco. Um, <laughs> any shared interest, anything, if, if it clicks, it just clicks. Um, for the closer friends, for the best friends, people, it, people that I want involved in my life, uh, I really want to see fruit. I don't want to involve just anybody uh, in the inner machinations of my life. I want to have people who have the fruit of the spirit, 
that are exhibiting Christ-like behavior and also have ambition. That's been something that's been more and more important to me as I've gotten a little bit older. I'm still a child, but you know, a little bit older uh, is you can be holy and pious, but I don't, I don't really need a monk in my life. I need somebody who's walking through life the same way I am. Um, all of the haircuts are pretty cool. <laughs> I think it kind of depends on your working definition of friend. I have people that I hang out with a lot and they're definitely my friends. And then I have those people where I'm like, these, these are brothers that I walk through life with. They are spiritual equals and we are like supporting each other. And there is crossover, but it is, it is a Venn diagram. There's not complete crossover in all of those. So someone I just like to hang out with all the time, it's pretty much gonna be shared interest. That's how we became friends. We play the same video game. We go to the same group. Uh, we work at the same place, um, anything like that. Um, and then for those long-term deep relationships, it is fruit. Like are, what are the fruits of the spirit that you're showing? And, and do you have, have you exhibited a, an interest in my life and wanting the best for me? Have I exhibited that interest in you? And, and then that crossover group of people that I hang out with and enjoy shared activities and also have that deep trust is a very, very small group of men. Okay. So what, help us out here, especially the women listening, what does hanging out as guys look like? Like, how do you do this? Because we hear about this a lot, like when women are frustrated with dating of like how guys like to do things shoulder to shoulder, but then Mm. you've got like, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever have, can a hunter guy be friends with an avid indoorsman as my friend Brand Anson (laughs) describes it? I mean, where do the theater guys go? I mean, how can you cross like, interests and stuff to find really good quality friends who might actually sharpen you and introduce you to some new things. Like what, what do you guys actually do hanging out with friends? A lot of it is like, what are we interested in? We're going to naturally gravitate towards those things and then find people who are doing that, that we like. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot of how it starts. Um, I'd say there's a, a bit of a maturity level in question for how broad is that group of activities? Mm -hmm. If you just hang out with people who play one video game because you only play one video game Mm -hmm. day in, day out, then you're probably not going to find a broad spectrum of people who are going to grow you. Um, You might find people who are enjoyable in that one activity, and that's it. So if you push yourself and and get out there and try to engage in other activities, you're going to find other people who will broaden you. Yeah. So something that I've really enjoyed um, here recently is hanging out with people who push me physically. So if that's, you know, working out, if that's um, doing something outside, things that, um, like Sterling was saying, a common interest in that, I've found that you do grow closer together when you are pushing boundaries and struggling and, you know, striving. And it does kind of you know, grow you in um, the friendship and the camaraderie that you have with those guys. Um, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy, you know, doing other things as well. Um, you know, watching movies, playing video games, that kind of thing. And I would actually say it's during those times, those other things like away from the gym or whatever that might look like in your life that I tend to, you know, really um, share some of the deeper um, content, some of the stuff that I've been struggling with. And, you know, those deeper conversations tend to happen that way. But something that I've uh, really gained an appreciation um, for is the kind of working out physical activity. Okay. When it comes to finding friends, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier about common values. Uh, Usually I find my friends through other friends, word of mouth is a powerful tool uh, when you have people you already trust in terms of recommending uh, new people. Um, But usually it'll be something like a business conference, church, something like that, where I know these people, at least to some degree, share those common values. I don't have to parse that out to a large degree. But I also aim for people that are quite different from me, Um, share the common values, but aren't the same as me. I really don't this might be getting a little bit deep. I don't like people that act exactly like I do because a bunch of me can get a really annoying very quickly. I like people that contrast me in certain ways. Now, not our complete contrarians to the way I live, <laughs> uh, but just contrast. Because with that, I think you get a more complete picture uh, in friendship. Uh, going back to your other question of what do guys do when we hang out? 
everything, nothing. You know, play video games sometimes, sometimes just talk. The amount of times I've just gotten lost in a conversation, which may be extraordinarily meaningful or not at all. <laughs> um, guys just kind of, I don't know, they share, uh, with my close friends, we just kind of share everything. What we're struggling with, what we want to be when we grow up. Some of us are 30 and we're saying, what do we want to be when we grow up? Uh, <laughs> and just, it can be whatever whatever's happening that day, but it's a lot of nothing and everything all at the same time. Okay. So what, um, in light of that, I mean, it's good to know like, oh yeah, we just like to have fun together. We like to get to know one another. We like to hang out. We spur one another on. What about when it comes to actually like calling another guy out? Like, and you know, you know, cause I think a lot of guys appreciate that in friendship and a lot of guys feel like they don't have that guy who can really be real with them and really, in our case of, of believers, like loves the Lord and is doing it from a great place and not just being a jerk. So how do you feel like guys who are doing that well do it uniquely? What does that look like? A huge example that I've seen um, is they're very direct in what they say. So I really don't have to question that. And they're ultimately doing it from pointing me back to scripture and out of a place of love for me as their brother in Christ. Um, and that's a huge thing that I've come to respect and something that I want to grow in myself. When I'm talking to people, that's a huge area of struggling for me because I do care about you as a person and I hope that what I'm saying doesn't hurt you. But that hurt that comes immediately might be something you need to experience if you do need something in your life called out. And so in that, you have to make sure that you are operating from a place of love and ultimately that both you and the person you're speaking with submit to God's authority um, as the ultimate rule in your life. Um, I'm an Enneagram 8, so I'm the resident jerk. Uh, I have a very simple set of rules when it comes to confrontation, especially among friendships. One is the first thing you got to do is you got to let go of your anger. You cannot go to confront somebody and you be angry because then you're not trying to get something out of them. You're trying to get something out of you. And that's a very big difference. Uh, number two is spend some time thinking about what your thoughts are, what you want to say to them and what you want to address, but don't spend so much time that you start building a case against them. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you give yourself, you know, hours and hours to build this case. And then when you go and talk to them, they have no idea this is even happening. When you come at them with a fully built case, they, the automatic response is get defensive. And that's just natural. Uh, when you're talking to them, speak directly. Uh, don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to run around it. But also remember what the point of what you're talking about is. You're not trying to do this to embarrass them. You're not trying to do this to hurt them. You're trying to do this to make them better. So choose your words based on what do I say here that will cause the greatest amount of change and help this person. And then third, remind them why you've done this. Is It's not because you're trying to bully them. It's not because you hate them. It's because you love them. They have a potential that they can reach and you want to see them live the best life that they can live and reach that full potential. I don't know if I can say it any better than Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah. As long as you guys have worked out that you trust each other and that you're doing it for each other's betterment, um, which is, you know, a simple thing to say and a hard bar to clear, mm -hmm. uh, then you're going to work it out and it's going to yeah. get worked out. That's good. Okay. So final question. And I asked the same question, um, flipped of the ladies last week. And that is from your observation, what is the biggest difference between how men and women do friendship? And what do you guys feel you could learn from the ladies? Hmm. I would say, I guess the biggest thing that I've seen is it seems easier for guys to, at least from what I've seen, the guys to divulge more deeper, I guess, things about their lives um, to really get into that. And that does come from a place of trust. Um, if you know that person, how close are you to them? 
But from what I've seen, I mean, the guys that I hang out with day in and day out, I'm an open book. And so they can just about tell already if I'm having a good day or if I'm having a bad day, if I've done well in a particular area, if I haven't. But it's just so easy for me to have those conversations with guys who, you know, I consider them brothers, take a bullet for them, go to war with them. That's something that I've really come to appreciate and something that I feel is distinctive to guys. Um, For me, I think there's three things in my mind, but I'm only going to say two. And hopefully that'll save me a little bit of backlash uh, from all the letters. But I think the two main things I think guys do that girls don't do are going to be confrontation and growth. Not to say that women don't grow, but guys, you see, like you see men's conferences like iron sharpening iron. You got to get better. You got to beat yourself up. Like you got to become a better version of yourself. And in a lot of guy friendships, that's kind of what it revolves around. And like what a lot of these conversations just evolved around. I need to trust you so that I can know that you want my ultimate good. And then I'm also going to trust you to beat the things out of me that need to be out. Mm. And I need, and I'm going to trust you to to help grow me so that I can become a better man so that I can be a better person and I can be the person God made me to be. Now, one thing I think guys can learn from girls for sure is uh, guys, while they do tend to have that growth mindset and that confrontation mindset, guys can also be a little hard sometimes and they can be a little stone-faced when it comes to certain things. Um, Not to say that in guy circles, you can't like tell, you know, tell people about your emotions or ask for counsel on something, but guys do tend to have a man up, you know, get to it. And I think guys could definitely learn how to be better supporters of other guys, not just in the confrontation and growth way, but when guys just need a place to come back where they can let their guard down and they can just get support. Yeah, man, I, it's it's hard. My perspective is uh, has always been uh, from the perspective of a male communicator, uh, and so there's a lot that I just don't know how to parse out uh, on on gender lines because I've just got my perspective. <laughs> um, what I do know is showing vulnerability um, is a strength not mo- many people do not have, um, both men and women. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say the stereotype is, is men uh, don't allow themselves to show weakness and vulnerability quite as often. Uh, but when you have the courage to, to open up weaknesses, um, that gives the potential for growth. And I know that is a weakness of mine a lot is I don't have the, I find myself lacking the courage to open, about, open up about my own vulnerabilities as well as to uh, speak into the the areas of other friends' lives that I know that I have insight on um, because I'm scared that they don't trust me to speak into them. Uh, I'm not sure if I trust myself to have the right insight. You know, there's a, a multitude of reasons, but I, I think that would be maybe one of those areas that maybe if they haven't perfected it, women have practiced showing vulnerability as a, as a way to grow in relationship and deepen intimacy. Um, and that's something I, I think we can all benefit from. Good thoughts, you guys. Thank you so much for weighing in on this. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Now go beat each other up, but then be encouraging <laughs> and, <laughs> and be that soft space to land for your brothers. So awesome. that's a good, a good, uh, good word, I think. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you.
Well, folks, we're here for this week's culture segment, and I know because of who you are, who our audience is, what your demo is, that you are going to love, love, love this week's conversation. I have got a new friend here. She is an author of a book, but more important than that, she is one of us, and you're going to get that when I tell you what her book is titled. It is titled Confessions of a Christian Spinster, Finding Purpose in a Perplexed and Paired Up Church. So I want to welcome to The Boundless Show, Alicia Plummer. Hey, Alicia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, this is very fun. And I guess I shouldn't say, I mean, I guess there are single guys listening too, and they're like, hello, I'm not a spinster, but whatever. Okay, just deal with it because a lot of this is going to apply to you either way. Um, And it's really fun. I had a chance to uh, go through the book and and learn a few things myself, and we're going to be talking about it here. Now, she is, Alicia, you're a first-time author, right? Okay. So this is just going to prove to you that um, dreams come true. She was telling me before we started taping that she went to a writer's conference and had the opportunity to pitch a few publishers, and one of them was just like, your idea sounds good, so just do it. So all of you out there that think that you can't do anything and no one's ever going to listen to you. Now, if you can't write, I can't help you there. Okay, so that's a problem. But if you actually have the chops and you can make it happen, don't give up. Just pray about direction that God may have for you in that. So, all right, back to the topic. But I do want to say in your real life, your day job, you are what, an emergency room physician's assistant, correct? I am. Yes. Okay. Is that just like outrageous or how, I mean, how'd you get into that? I guess the way everyone gets into it, <laughs> I went to school and came out and got a job in emergency medicine. I am easily bored. So I knew it was going to have to be some sort of medicine that was intriguing to me okay. and different. And the emergency department is about as intriguing and different as you can get. And so that's how I ended up there. And I guess it's a little crazy for some people, but it seems yeah. very normal to me. <laughs> I literally didn't even know that ERs employ PAs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, so you just have to move about, do things. I mean, you're walking into rooms, like consulting with people and all that kind of stuff. Correct. Okay. I, I see patients every day, and I'm like an extension of the doctor. So I do all my own orders, order all my own tests, interpret my own tests, and talk to my patients and a lot of times they don't actually see the doctor. I do everything. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way that PAs function yeah. right now. And well, that's we're pretty used cool. pretty heavily in the emergency department because it's a really fast pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be honest, we're cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, my, I know I have a niece who is a, um, she's both an x-ray and MRI now mm-hmm. trained technician. And mm-hmm. she's always running into the ER and feels the same way of like, there are like three of us in this hospital and we can't keep up. So I hear you. But single people listening, be encouraged. There are great jobs for you, and you can rock it out and just own the ER if you want to, like Alicia's doing. So, all right, well, let's talk about um, the book here, because a lot of this is your story and your insights in navigating life as a single woman. And so I want you to, one of the things that you kind of talk about in the book is the concept of really it's like you can walk into a church and feel like you're in a wasteland of just you know well as far as the single scope there i mean it you know we talk a lot here at boundless about how churches tend to be programmed for families Mm -hmm. you know you see a lot in church bulletins about like okay kids day marriage retreats blah 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 and then singles are like well what are we supposed to do and then the people are like well why don't you just watch our kids while we do all this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's just a summary, y'all. I'm not saying that's entirely true, but there you have it. So, but why do you think that singleness, you actually kind of, um, you know, say that there's like a certain shock factor to singleness in churches and even in the culture. And what? why would you say that is? And then when marriage has been blown out of proportion, in a sense, what message does that send to singles? How have you experienced that? You do definitely kind of feel out of place in the church. Um, And that's because our churches are based around the family, which is a good thing. Marriage is a wonderful display of God's intimacy with us as his bride. And the family displays his desire to build a family, to build that kingdom, to have children, um, sons and daughters of God. And so it's beautiful in that design, but there are some of us who fall outside of that. Mm -hmm. And the churches have a hard time, I think, knowing exactly what to do with us and the idea is that we will all eventually be fixed. And so if we just wait long enough, you'll be fixed and you can come join in Mm -hmm. whatever it is that we're doing this weekend. And some of us 
even though we would really like that to be the case, that has not happened and God has not led us into the marriage that we want or given us the the family that we want. And so when that happens, we're kind of lost Mm -hmm. and wondering where we fit in. And for a long time, when I was younger in particular, the, the idea was, well, you'll just go to the young adults class and it'll kind of be like church inside a, a church and everything will be just hunky-dory inside that and then you'll get married and then you can join the rest of the adults. Yeah. But the problem was, is I turned into adults before I got married yeah. <laughs> and still haven't gotten married. And I was like, I don't know where I fit or where that where people want me. And it took a really long time to realize that I just needed to take my place in the church because that's the the spot that God has given me. And even though other people might be confused about who I am and what I should be doing in the church, God was not confused and this was his plan. This was his design. And so it took, and you'll see that throughout the book, that there are some very hard emotions that I worked through, oh goodness, probably over about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And God finally brought it to the point where I was okay with where he had brought me and it was not fast and it was it was very painful in a lot of respects and when god brought me to that point that i was like okay this is where god has me this is his design for me this is his best for me he's not holding back on me he's not jipping me i was able to then say hey this is how i can be involved in my church because i want to be part of the ladies ministry i want to be part of the children's ministry i just felt a little bit on the outside because I didn't have kids that plugged me into the kids ministry and I didn't have a husband that plugged me into the the couples ministry and the ladies ministry never really asked the idea was that you'll get there when yeah. you get married yeah well so I mean that's that's a good point that you make and you are involved in ministry in your church and so I'm going to want to circle back to that but I also want to emphasize that this is not because you're some kind of marriage hater I mean you did not write this book to say like let's just talk about how marriage is dumb and we all need to be singles and be like whatever so I mean you actually talk about how you know at a very early age you had your life planned out and apparently Mm -hmm. it involved being married at 21 and having 12 children which that in and of itself could be <laughs> a little telling as to like why hopefully you didn't broadcast that but that's okay I mean you know God knows and and he knows your story and stuff but clearly he had a different plan for your life and so I, I think it's fascinating first of all I want to ask you what do you say I mean because you're now you're in your 30s right, right. okay yeah. so you when people ask you and I mean who of us listening has not been asked this when people say why are you still single because, you know, Alicia, you're just so smart and you're so cute and you're just so wonderful and you love the Lord and whatever. How do you answer that and how do you even process that in your own spirit? I have answered that question the same way for a long time and didn't realize exactly how true the answer was. But the answer has been that God has not brought the right guy. And I still hope that someday he will, but he may not. And that has always been my answer. And it's just gotten more true as I've gotten older. Yeah. So how would you say then, in light of that, how have you learned to trust God's timing? Because I think a lot of, especially women, when I talk to them, are like, okay, I need to do something to take matters into my own hands. So Mm -hmm. we see a lot, you know, not that, I mean, we talk about online dating and apps here and stuff, and they're not evil by any stretch. They're tools. But a lot of people feel like, well, I got to do something. I got to be active doing something. So I better try this or I better do this or I better switch churches or make something happen. How have you reconciled that in your own spirit? And that's a really difficult question because this is a problem most of us can pretty easily fix. We can go out and we can pick up a boyfriend or a husband pretty quickly. I mean, I'm sure everybody's watched friends do this and a lot of it has led to heartache and things that we would never have chosen for our friends or our family. So it's something that can be fixed and we can go out and fix it. Mm -hmm. And so that call from God to wait on his timing becomes even more difficult because it's easier to wait if you can't do anything about it. Like you have to wait for spring to come because you cannot make spring come any faster, but you can make relationships happen, even if that's not what God wants you to do. And the only answer I have found to that is to focus more on God and what he's calling me to do today. Um, if As soon as I start looking in the future and thinking, well, I, you know, I've only got five more years to have kids, other, there, there's not going to be any time for that. Mm-hmm. As soon as I start looking in the future, I will 
lose sight of who really matters and that's Christ. And so as I keep my eyes on him and it's in little segments, it's not in like this year. It's like yeah. today. It's not like you're just solving it in one fell swoop or being okay. You that's know. right. Yeah. It's just today. As I focus on God and Christ today, what he wants from me today, I'm able to be more okay with not fixing it, yeah. even though I'd like to, and sometimes. Yeah. I thought one thing you said in the book, you talk through, you have a bunch of, you talk through confessions, basically, and one of them, you talk through your decision grid in evaluating potential suitors and potential mates. And now this was kind of a, I mean, this is a pattern that so many of us fall into where it's like, you know, okay, well, what's their situation? Do they have a ring? You know, what's the status? Are they, you know, do they have a job, whatever? And you kind of walk through all these questions that all of us have asked. And then you, you know, check people off the list if they don't meet the criteria and stuff. And I thought it was super helpful how you said there are some costs to this, including, you know, it kind of reduces men to kind of products, you know, that you're evaluating or sampling or whatever. It keeps you ineffective um, in service to God because you're so obsessed with this quest or what you're going to make happen here. And and ultimately, it's a selfish pursuit because instead of yeah. listening to God, as you've been saying, it's all about us and our wants and what we think is right in this perfect profile we have in our head, which I think is so um, helpful for you to have drawn out here. I mean, it was really encouraging to me um, to go up go ahead and read that. So I one thing I want to ask you, um, I do want to get to, in fact, um, kind of what you you talk through some helpful approaches to life that singles can take. And there's three you kind of talk in the <laughs> in a, a few little constructs here that um, I was like, oh my goodness, okay, so she mentioned, like, you mentioned parkour, you mentioned ballet, you mentioned karate, and you ultimately say that a mix of those is ideal, but talk through what each of those are and why they do have helpful elements to them. For sure. So it seems very random, um, unless you were looking at my college transcript, because <laughs> those three classes are my PE classes while I was in college. And each class had different emphasis. So parkour had a lot to do with being joyful and enjoying your environment. And ballet had a lot to do with disciplining your body to make these graceful motions, even even though they're very difficult. Anyone who's done ballet knows that ballet is actually really hard <laughs> and they're just making it look easy. Mm -hmm. And then you have karate, which obviously has self-defense properties and it's pugilistic and lots yeah. of fun that way and get some aggression out yeah. exactly and they're they're all great but when we talk about as an an approach to the christian life the parkour would be that having that joy in christ and finding your purpose in christ where ballet would be that more disciplined approach to the christian life these things look easy but they're actually very difficult and they are set up by the daily disciplines that we do so it looks easy to come to church and to serve every day and be very thoughtful and kind and pleasant but it's actually what goes on during the week spending that time with christ having that time in prayer uh, meeting with that friend and making sure that you're able to um, support them in whatever they're going through those types of disciplines are what allow you to have that impact on Sunday. And then the karate is just, the Bible has so many comparisons to battle, to warfare, to ongoing strife. And so a lot of people will approach our Christian life that way, which is appropriate. It's difficult and we're fighting and it's very intense. But if you overemphasize the discipline or the intensity or the joy, you get a, kind of a lopsided picture. But when you bring them all together, it's kind of like a triangle. It's in balance and you're able to have that that Christian life that God intends for you to have that walk with Christ that he wants. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, it, it is so, you know, because we'll say like, well, I'm not really good at just discipline or just soldiering through or whatever. But the truth is, some of us maybe have to run harder a, a little bit after building that foundation, whereas some people need to infuse joy in, like you oh, said, yeah. and realize that, you know, God has something for all of us. He has a plan for us. I always say, you know, singleness isn't a waiting room for marriage. We're all called to something right now. And so what does that look like? Um, so, but now I think, you know, so many people will say, like, oh, okay, well, Alicia, thanks, but you know what my solution is? I just need to try a different church. I just need to go, <laughs> I need to find other single people my age, I need to find something else, I need to find, so what's that balance between, 
you know, truly digging in, plugging in where you are and and committing to those three things and, and specifically being joyful in the season you're in and recognizing that, okay, there's a proactive element too to, you know, looking for a spouse, especially, you know, we talk about, you know, Proverbs uh, 18 has a lot to say about, you know, he who looks for a wife, you know, or he who finds a wife finds what is good, I should say. So um, what would you say is a good, healthy approach for a single young adult in pursuing relationships, but also trusting God? That is a hard question. (laughs) And I wish I knew the answer more. Mm -hmm. But what I would have to say is that if you are taking the steps that he has called you to take right now, and he has you in this particular church, he will use that. And plugging into your local church is a way that you receive a growth, you receive maturity, you receive teaching, and it's also a way that we support other people and we fulfill our calling. And God is an amazing matchmaker. Uh, if you look at the scriptures, you have, obviously, Adam and Eve, perfect Um, Boaz and Ruth, you know, that's not a perfect love story by any means, but God was like, this is the right one. And so he has the ability to bring the spouse for you. And I think as long as you follow his steps that he has for you in the moment, he will bring the person at the right time. And that can look a lot, that can look very different. And I think for some of us, we actually stumble over that it looks different than what we were thinking it would. Yeah. Sometimes we have to, you know, not that we can't dream or even write like good biblical lists of like non-negotiables. I mean, that's important because otherwise we can go off the rails and just be like, okay, well, the first person who comes along, but at the same time being open-handed and letting God truly write the script and direct our paths in that way, I think is so, um, so helpful. So one of the, obviously, you know, here in the book, you talk so much, you know, in fact, the subtitle saying finding purpose, and we've talked a little bit about that in a perplexed and paired up church. If you could sit down and have the ear of like church leaders, married people in the church, (laughs) what would you say? What would be your little TED talk on how to really love and see the single people in your church? Because clearly, Alicia, you have, like you said, you've now, you just forced your way into women's ministry, into kids ministry to be like, hey, I'm here. I want to serve. I want to use my gifts. And so that's a real, a real calling. But what would you say are some of the misses that you're currently seeing out there? And and how could um, church leaders and others be a little more sensitive and attentive? That is a good question. I'll start with church leaders. I think number one is seeing the church as a whole, that we aren't a separate church inside of the church, whether if that's a division by age or by gender or by marriage status, we are the church. And if you splinter off parts of the church, it actually weakens the church. It doesn't bring unity to the church or give those members that are splintered off the support that they need. And you can see this in young adults groups who they don't know anybody in the church except for who's in their young adults group. And you see this in high school groups as well. And sometimes you even see it in in the retired age groups, um, where the church is a church within a church rather than being a church as a whole, yeah, one like body. in their tribe kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And we actually make each other stronger by our differences. So uh, the fact that I'm not married is actually a good thing when it comes to this. And having friends that are married is a good thing for me because I grow from their experiences. They grow from my experiences. We are able to support and encourage one another, even though we are different. And so I think that's the one thing I would say for church leaders is treat us as one church. Mm-hmm. Invite us, all the ladies, all <laughs> the men, say the church is getting together to do this. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think the church itself, like the people in the pews have a part in and saying, hey, I know that we're going to have this family get together, this picnic, you're going to be alone. Would you like to join our family? We'd love to have you. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's what I would say to the church leaders. And then to church members, what I would say is, And this is so difficult to say because a lot of people love you and they want you to be happy. They want you to be married because this is a good thing Mm -hmm. and they know how much you want it. And so they they ask you, well, uh, have you been out on any dates this week? And Mm -hmm. it's really difficult if you come to church every week and somebody's like, have you been out on any dates? I could set you up with this guy. And it's not that we don't appreciate the care, but it's just very difficult um, to continually have those repetitive conversations when it's really what I want and God still says no. Mm -hmm. And so it would be much more helpful if you said, hey, 
how can I pray for you this week? Or what have you been learning in the scriptures? Or something else that mm-hmm. just tells me this is more important than your not married status. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's a good point. That's so funny. I always say that too. I say one of the best questions you can ask a, a single young adult when you don't know what to say is just how can I pray for you and let them share as much or as little as they'd like. And I do want to say to those of you listening, because I know, you know, sometimes we're tempted to be like, well, no one programs anything for me or no one's invited me to anything. Maybe you're going to have to start by being the inviter or the instigator. Maybe there's something that you're going to have to step up at your church and do or participate in or be the one who volunteers, be the one who decides you're going to start something that's a little more uh, cross-generational and cross-relationship statuses and all that, because again, it's so easy to get stuck in a rut. So we can be the catalyst uh, to this, all of you. So, well, awesome. I mean, this has been such a great time. And again, I want to remind you all that we have been talking to Alicia Plummer about her book, Confessions of a Christian Spinster, Finding Purpose in a Perplexed and Paired Up Church. And we are going to make available to you uh, a copy of this book for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 802. That's this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. It's a very fun cover, a bright cover, so you won't miss it. Just click on that. You give a gift to Boundless for the work that we're doing here, and we will send you a copy of Alicia's book as our thank you to you. So Alicia, thanks so much for joining us here in the studio and being part of this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Joy is a tall tree, my side to sit upon And the rest of the forest wait till I'm strong I'm not sad anymore My eyes are on you I will live my soul I can see I will live my heart to you I will sit my eyes on Well, folks, we are finishing up the show for this week, and we always open up our inbox and answer one of your questions. And so thanks to the woman who wrote in this week's question, I have got one of our fantastic counselors, Glenn Lutchens here. Glenn, good to see you. Thank you, Lisa. Good to be with you. Aren't you glad that it's like June and we actually have decent weather? Well, it's, we, uh, <laughs> you never we, know in Not Colorado. that we can't get snow in June, right. but it, it has happened. Give you know, it two but months and we'll be at back least we to, get a to couple, some snow. <laughs> yeah, at least we get a couple good days in yeah. here. So anyway, all right. Well, our listener says, I'm a 32-year-old woman and I'm very upset by how many Christian guys online are okay with having sex before marriage. It's common even among guys who say their faith is important to them. I can attest being a virgin at this age is hard, but I want something better than what our culture has to offer in terms of sex, dating, and true love. As Christians, we're called to live for Jesus. Where are all the Christian single men who are trying to walk in sexual integrity? Yeah, well, she's absolutely right in wanting to find a man who has not only a heart for the Lord, but a heart for following God. It's easy to say, I'm a a Christian, I've trusted in Christ, but you know, when the challenges are there and when it's difficult to, to really follow the Lord. What, what struck me was two important areas. One is uh, a solid biblical ethic. In other words, somebody who's committed not only to the fact that we're saved by the grace of Jesus, but somebody who's committed to, to following the Lord. And I, I think, you know, one important aspect, and this might be something that uh, she's already doing, so it may not be new, but really find a solid church. Uh, that's going to be a, a key component is really finding someone. I realize it's um, difficult to do if you're looking online, uh, but you know where are they connected? Where's their church fellowship? So really finding someone who has that commitment uh, spiritually, but also kind of an emotional health and wholeness. There's some things that I think are characteristic of that. A person's level of honesty, a person's level of community. You know, what what community? What are they connected to? Is there accountability in their life? And that becomes, I think, a really key aspect for, you know, is this person really serious about what they what they say they're willing to follow or not? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's so good. And it just reminds me of um, there have been several seasons where I've done online dating. And and I just remember, you know, maybe this would be helpful for the listener as well. I finally got to the point where I would almost lead with that question. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, if someone is self-identifying mm-hmm. as a Christian, people yeah. can define that so many different ways. Right. Even if they say, well, I believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does that actually mean? And right. so... Um, sometimes you just have to kind of lead with that. I know some of the online platforms like give that as a question that you can kind of ask in those initial sets of questions mm-hmm. you put out there. Um, but you kind of have to, that's why I always say lead with your testimony right. and with your faith right. and cut out the clutter. Don't just be talking to every guy and trying to like witness to him or mm-hmm. argue him into a corner mm-hmm. about particulars. Just move on. I mean, that mm-hmm. might be helpful yeah. even for your own sanity. And I, I would even encourage... Um, this woman and others to gently, I mean, obviously it's going to be important how they would do this, but to lovingly confront. I mean, if somebody is saying that they're a follower of Christ, how do you square your sexual ethic with with the biblical guidelines that uh, scripture Mm -hmm. gives? And I think it can be done gently. It may be the last time they communicate. I don't know, but uh, it can can happen. Um, and, And I think one other aspect is where I'm around. Are there people who are connecting for service? Mm-hmm. Because if somebody is, is wanting to serve the Lord, you know, be it a, a soup kitchen, whatever it might be, but how are they as far as living out their faith? And that's going to tell you a lot about where they are yeah. in regards to those moral components. Yeah. And, and it's so good. And just remember, you know, as an encouragement to you who asked this question, um, you know, God knows. God knows those who are his. And honestly, you know, not that you need to get into parsing out, like determining or arguing with this guy whether or not he's actually a believer, but knowing that there, the Bible talks about the fruit of a believer and what, and no one who continues in persistent and unrepentant sin and willingly and knowingly does that, you know, is, is, is probably walking with God. And so I think that's where you don't need to beat yourself up for just saying, I might need to move on. So, mm-hmm. but Glenn, great practical points. Thank Thank you so much for weighing in on that. You're very welcome. Well, folks, uh, again, we want to remind you that we're always here to hear from you. Uh, You can hit us up on social media, specifically on Instagram or Facebook. Just find us on our accounts. We always love to interact with folks there. Or you can email us at editor at boundless.org. Or now that we're uh, available to take voicemails, you can go to boundless.org, look in this week's show notes. And so anytime you click on a podcast episode and scroll down uh, for the show notes, you will see the opportunity to leave a voicemail there. There will be a link. So, well, that's it for this week's show. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.